This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Countdown with Keith Olbermann, On the Media, The Colbert Report, Citizen Radio, and Anonymous, with a bonus video clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users, also from Anonymous. Tonight, as Julian Assange spends his second day behind bars, wanted in Sweden for questioning in relation to alleged sex crimes, his allies on the Internet have declared all-out war on the money movers undercutting WikiLeaks' ability to do business. Number one story, MasterCard announced Monday it would no longer process payments to WikiLeaks. This morning, Internet activists crashed its website. This afternoon, Visa.com crashed. Tonight, Twitter might be next. It suspended an Operation Payback account, the group calling itself... Anonymous has been waging Operation Payback for a few months now. The group says it is dedicated to a, quote, anonymous, decentralized movement that fights against censorship and copy wrong. That would be a pun on copyright. In October, Anonymous released the following V for Vendetta-tinged video. We are legion and divided by zero. We do not forgive internet censorship and we do not forget free speech. We are over 9,000. Expect us. Anonymous has now turned its attention to the WikiLeaks case, the group issuing or using a DOS denial of service attack to crash the website for the Swedish prosecutors who had issued the warrant for Mr. Assange. Then Anonymous crashed the website of a Swiss bank that closed a WikiLeaks bank account. This morning it attacked MasterCard.com, crashing the website in retaliation for MasterCard worldwide stated intent to deny transactions with WikiLeaks. Anonymous tweeting today, quote, there are some things WikiLeaks can't do for everything else. There's Operation Payback. MasterCard says it's customers, transactions were not affected. Visa Europe this week began suspending payments to WikiLeaks, pending an investigation into, quote, whether they contravene Visa operating rules. This afternoon on Twitter, Anonymous turned its guns on Visa. We are attacking www.visa.com in an hour. Get your weapons ready. An hour later, fire, fire, fire weapons. Both MasterCard and Visa's websites back up now. The Operation Payback Twitter feed and Facebook account have since been suspended. This afternoon, WikiLeaks released a cable that may or may not be related to all this. According to The Guardian, citing State Department cables, quote, the U.S. lobbied Russia this year on behalf of Visa and MasterCard to try to ensure the payment card companies were not adversely affected by new legislation, according to American diplomats in Moscow. And then there is PayPal, the online banking site which suspended its account with WikiLeaks, which survived its own DOS attack on Monday. Today in Paris at a technology conference, PayPal's vice president, Osama Bader, was asked to explain his company's decision to suspend that WikiLeaks account. The reason? He said, a State Department letter. What happened here is on November 27th, uh, uh, the State Department, the U.S. government basically wrote a letter saying that uh, the WikiLeaks activity uh, were deemed illegal in the United States. And as a result, our, our policy group had to make the decision of suspending the account. Joining me now, Jim Moore, author and uh, of morethink.com, also contributor to the Huffington Post. His column today was entitled, I Am Julian Assange. Good evening, Jim. Hi, Keith. The State Department alleges uh, the, what WikiLeaks did, uh, blatantly illegal, and then companies like PayPal pull the plug on WikiLeaks accounts. How many things are wrong with that, in your opinion? Well, 
if it's illegal, he hasn't been charged. The leaking of the information and the information that's been published has been published in newspapers, carefully redacted to protect people, and, and then perhaps they should charge newspapers if they're going to charge him with leaking the information. What happened to MasterCard and to everybody else who has been, PayPal included, who's been trying to stop this from happening is an indication that the Internet is bigger than corporate America and bigger than global business and that people are tired of being run around, that people are saying, we're going to fight back. And so what you've got is an instrument for people to finally have a sense of power and they've decided to take advantage of it and use it. Whether it's this particular operation mm -hmm. or an individual, people are not going to sit still for this, apparently. The one argument against this, though, that resonates uh, is that this was not purpose-driven like, say, the Pentagon Papers. Today, uh, these uh, the anonymous here, whoever that is, leaked 10,000 MasterCard card numbers. Is there a dividing line between whistleblowing, sort of uh, techno reporting, and computer hacking, or do we have to take the good with the bad? Well, I think that probably a line was crossed there, but it's also a kind of a bow shot to say, look, we have the ability to do things that you aren't giving us credit for, and we are going to take advantage of our skills. If you're going to try to control information that we receive, we're going to affect your businesses. And I think they're very much trying to send a message. Should they make public MasterCard records and numbers? Of course not. But I think they're clearly trying to say, watch out. We can do more than we're already doing. Daniel Ellsberg, uh, who, who was uh, obviously the force behind the Pentagon Papers uh, using the new right. technology with a tweet today that read, every attack now made on Assange and WikiLeaks and made, was made against me and release of the Pentagon Papers. From your recollection of that case, is, is Ellsberg right? Is this just an updated uh, 21st century technologically improved version of the attack on Ellsberg? Yeah, well, I was a long-haired hippie walking in the streets of Washington <laughs> protesting the war back then. And I remember when this happened, and, and everybody was saying, who is Ellsberg, and, and why would the government say this? Everything that has been said about Julian Assange is precisely the things that were said about Daniel Ellsberg. And ultimately, Ellsberg's information was proved right. The information was valuable. It helped guide public opinion. And the same thing is happening with what WikiLeaks is putting out. It's guiding public opinion and they're trying to vilify the individual mm -hmm. in order to shut down the process and it's the process that's critical it's the internet that is now the tool this is no longer about Julian Assange this is about the empowerment of individuals and the power of information and let me just fill that out for a second Ellsberg they went into they broke into a psychiatrist's office in hopes of finding information that they use against him and spread a rumor that he'd had sex with his wife in front of his own children and everything they possibly could put out they did about him so everything old is new again Jim Moore uh, the author of Bush's Brain and the contributor to the Huffington Post great thanks Jim you bet Keith anytime I need to see a face I just close my eyes and I am taken to a place where your grist don't mind I'm a gentle feeling take a chapter in the face of my spine straight like a chicka cherry cola I don't need to try to explain I just hold on tight and if it happens again I'ma move so silently to the arms and the lips and the face of the human can of all that I need to I want to well, come stand a little bit closer breathe in and get a bit higher you'll never know what hit you Two weeks on, the ripples from the WikiLeaks release of diplomatic cables spread around the world. 
In Washington, legislation has been drafted with the potential to criminalize certain practices of WikiLeaks, but also journalism in general. Governmental agencies have sought to bar their employers from accessing WikiLeaks classified documents, now broadly accessible by everyone. Meanwhile, amid calls for the capture or execution of WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange from certain quarters of Capitol Hill, the New York Times reports that European papers are decrying hypocrisy in the land of free speech across the sea. And in Pakistan, faked cables indicting Indian intentions were planted in newspapers, possibly by Pakistani intelligence. And if things couldn't get any more complicated, the Swedish newspaper Dagens Nyheter reports that disaffected former WikiLeaks staffers will launch OpenLeaks, a WikiLeaks alternative, on Monday. All over the world, lines are being drawn in the battle among freedom of information absolutists, moderates, and security firsters. And first blood in this battle has now been drawn in cyberspace. This week, WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange turned himself into British authorities to answer Swedish rape charges, but a group of avenging angels is still at large. Hackers known collectively as Anonymous have been launching online attacks against the perceived enemies of WikiLeaks. The weapon of choice? Distributed denial of service, or DDoS attacks, illegally crashing servers by flooding them with data requests. Anonymous, formerly known for targeting anti-file sharing sites and Scientologists, this week attacked PayPal for deleting WikiLeaks' account, Visa and MasterCard for blocking credit card transactions related to WikiLeaks, Leaks, and the Swiss bank Post Finance for seizing WikiLeaks accounts. Most recently, Anonymous threatened to go after Amazon for kicking WikiLeaks off its server. Anonymous calls its campaign of internet sabotage Operation Payback. The Daily Beast's Brian Rees has tracked the situation. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So... A distributed denial-of-service attack, that's when you flood a website with a bunch of requests and messages and it just crashes the server? They're using what's called a botnet, which is a whole group of computers around the world, some of them willing, some of them unwilling. You queue them up, you tell the computer to send data requests. This happens thousands and thousands of times, all at the same time, crashes the servers, the website go down, they just can't handle that surge of requests. And the fact is, to launch a distributed denial-of-service attack is easier than it used to be, right? What's made this one easy is there's a program that they're all using, acronym LOIC, which stands for Low Orbit Ion Cannon. And it was developed back when they were attacking Scientology that basically enables anyone to download it, click go, and it puts you into this army of hacktivists, and it starts making your computer send these requests towards the website that you're trying to take down. The slogan of Anonymous is... We are anonymous. We do not forgive. We do not forget. We are legion. Are they legion? They are in the sense that they have this collective mentality where they work as one, but they're not legion in the sense that they're a coordinated group. When they launch these attacks, there are chat rooms where they organize them from. They do use the same software, but there's no leader. There's no order of ascension should the leader be arrested or whatever. It's, just, for the most part, a mass amount of people all acting in the same mission in mind. So they started with Scientology. Later on, they attacked the motion picture industry's website and the recording industry's website. And to use another uh, internet expression, they were doing it for the lulls, which I guess is internet speak for just for laughs. But this isn't just for laughs, is it? 
No, for once, you know, it seems they're really, really doing it for an ethical reason. They believe strongly that freedom of information, freedom of speech is a fundamental part of the internet, and this is what's kind of motivating them at this point in time. Before, you know, they didn't have the numbers that they have this time. When I was in the chat room when they were organizing it, there was maybe 90 to 100 people who had activated the program. Last I heard recently, there was upwards of 1,000 people in this room using that program. And so it's just like a snowball. It's bigger and bigger and bigger. They can almost take down bigger and bigger sites. It's like the mob going down the street in Frankenstein, gathering more and more people carrying pitchforks and torches. Yeah, or like in a cartoon when you see that rolling ball of cats fighting and you see a clock about <laughs> once in a while. That's what I envision here. Obviously, the group Anonymous has been out front and center this week defending WikiLeaks, but there are plenty of other factions in the hacker world that have gotten involved in this, too. That's right. You know, there's the highbrow hackers. They see Anonymous as kind of amateurs. They call them script kitties because all they're doing is downloading this program and using it to attack these websites. The better hackers, the more experienced ones, are using more innovative ways, like setting up mirrors, per se, which is when they take the data on WikiLeaks and host it on their own servers so that should WikiLeaks fall, the data will live on. Emmanuel Goldstein, the editor-in-chief of the Hacker Quarterly, told me how silencing your opponent is simply for people who have run out of ideas, which is his way of saying that good hackers will develop the tools necessary to keep the information flowing, keep speech alive, and not trying to shut that down, just like WikiLeaks is being shut down. So initially, the jester attacked WikiLeaks, then Anonymous attacked the perceived enemies of WikiLeaks. Now there is a sort of counter-counter war going on against Anonymous, right? The website where they're hosting a lot of these tools, they've been attacked with their own DDoS attacks. They're not sure who from, they're not sure why, they figure it's to silence them, to stop them from taking down these websites. Some of them told me they think it might be the Department of Defense, could be security firms working for some of these companies that are hoping to disrupt the attacks, but it's hard to say. Meanwhile, for better or for worse, WikiLeaks is now associated with a bunch of vigilante hackers who don't seem to have any qualms about bringing down the websites of those with whom they disagree. Do you think that the WikiLeaks association with these guys could actually end up hurting it? If WikiLeaks wants to be an organization that wants to promote free speech and freedom of information and no secrets, it's going to be hard to have a bunch of supporters who are out there trying to silence their own opposition. It does seem like the image of WikiLeaks keeps changing. It sure does. And Julian Assange's role in it all keeps changing, too. He went from kind of a modest leader to a very strong leader, and now he's become almost a hero for some of these activists. And a lunatic to others. And a lunatic and a pain in the side and a criminal to others. Thanks very much, Brian. Thank you very much. Brian Reese writes for The Daily Beast. Weep for yourself, my man. You'll never be what is in your heart. Weep, little lion man. You're not as brave as you were at the start. Rate yourself and rake yourself. Take all the courage you have left. And waste it on fixing all the problems that you made in your own head. But it was not your fault but mine. And it was your heart on the line. I really fucked it up this time. Deny my dear Deny my dear Security is very important, folks, because America is at war. And we're not talking about Iraq and Afghanistan. I'm talking about a war that the news is still covering. Jim? 
has the U.S. entered a cyber war? You know, we're sort of entered into this cyber war. This is a murky world of cyber war, and it could get very messy. We are at cyber war, which is much like regular war, except the MREs are Cheetos. It started with Julian Assange, the abominable snow journalist, and his website, WikiLeaks, published thousands of classified documents. Then, a powerful cyber attack shut down WikiLeaks. Suddenly, there was no place to see those WikiLeaks documents, except everywhere. <laughs> then, MasterCard and Visa cut off customer donations to WikiLeaks. So, Assange's supporters launched a re-etaliation. A group calling itself Anonymous targeted the websites of Visa, MasterCard, and PayPal, among others, after the company stopped processing donations to WikiLeaks. They used this thing, it's called DDoS, Distributed Denial of Service. Come on, Anonymous! First you're an alcoholic, and now this? Get it together! Nation, these denial of service strikes make me furious, I assume. I don't know what it means. I hear denial of service and I think black person at Denny's. But the truth is, the truth is far more terrifying. The attacker searches out computers that are online and unsecured and undetected takes them over. Then each one recruits hundreds or even thousands of others. And together, all these hijacked computers bombard the targeted website. In hacker speak, it's called a zombie army. Nice try, hackers. But if you want to turn my electronic devices against me, you'll have to get past the big layer of fat on my fat head. Your teleprompter is ours, Colbert. Damn it, hackers! <laughs> Thankfully. Can do something about that? Can we do something about that? Let's take that stuff out of there. Okay, let's cut that. We'll edit that out later. We'll edit that out later. Thankfully, one key cyber insurgent has been brought to justice. A 16-year-old from the Netherlands has reportedly confessed to those hacker attacks against Visa and MasterCard. At least they think it was the 16-year-old boy. When his mom knocked on his door and asked why it was locked, he screamed, I'm hacking the MasterCard site! Go away! <laughs> But even this victory has a price, ladies and gentlemen. The Dutch police and prosecutors' websites then suffered their own cyber attacks. Oh no. With the Dutch police crippled, who will keep the pot cafes open and the prostitutes on the streets? Well, folks, enough is enough. I am fighting back. You see, back in the day, I was a bit of a hacker myself. Ah. brag, but I'm the reason Tommy Lee Jones' Wikipedia page says he's terrified of snow globes. Okay, get ready, WikiLeaks, because you are staring down the barrel of a 9600-baud shotgun. some reason
For some reason, my Prodigy account isn't opening. Well, in the meantime, here to discuss what's at stake in this cyber war is the guy who taught Oprah how to use the internet, Omar Wasso. Omar, thank you so much for coming on. Now, Omar, let's get down to brass tacks. Let's get tech. Let's get tech here. Are we at cyber war? You can think of this as sort of a continuum, and these are more like cyber protests or cyber sit-ins, but it could escalate to a cyber war. Cyber sit-in? This isn't a cyber love fest, my friend. This, well, isn't this isn't a cyber happening. They are destroying these websites. MasterCard, Visa, they're gone. They are trying to use these tools to sort of make a point, which is free speech on the internet is potentially at risk when a few companies can act as choke points. Hey, free speech isn't free. You gotta pay for it. Okay, I pay Comcast in order to get on. How's that free speech? Well, Huh? Huh? Well, we Am I an internet expert now? You are. You're, you're, you're like an OG, an original geek. What? 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 I think I proved that. I think I proved that tonight. Well, let me ask you this. How do, they, how, do they turn, how do they turn my computer into a zombie? How are they doing that? Are they getting my passwords? So what they, you install a piece of software in either your computer or other people's computers. They don't need to get your password. Right. And then you can essentially, it's almost like if you and 2,000 of your friends uh, all showed up at the same 7-Eleven, you'd shut it down. It wouldn't be able to do any business, right? So you flood Visa's website with traffic, and then it can't take any more incoming, uh, you know, web requests. Okay, so what, what, can, what can we do to stop these, these cyber criminals out there? Well, should I change? Should I, should I, should I, can I do anything? If they're using my computer, can I fight back? Um, if, well, if you, you should definitely install you know, things like uh, antivirus software on your computer, but you really don't have to worry about... I install about anything <laughs> someone emails to me. Gawker's website was recently hacked, and uh, you know, it showed that the number one password was 123456. The number two password was password. So having a secure password helps no, a I, lot. I see. I, no one's going to guess mine because it's Razzleberry. <laughs> <laughs> You'll definitely be safe with that. Okay. But there are there are real risks. We've seen in the past, um, you know, when Russia went to war with Georgia, there was a, a parallel cyber attack. There were cyber attacks against Estonia in 2007. So this can escalate from simple denial of service, this sort of flooding the channel, to things where you really try to take down a whole uh, country's internet. Is the United States prepared to fight this war? I mean, is is Secretary of Defense Gates? going to the Apple store, asking the people at the Genius Bar <laughs> how to win this war. Well, you know, one of the uh, most amazing things about this is, pri you know, the sort of private first class Manning, who's alleged to have gotten these documents. Yeah. One person took 250,000 plus documents. So clearly, uh, you know, the, the State Department, the Army, is not doing a good job of fighting uh, internally for its own security. Well, I mean, uh, last question, this is probably the most vital question in the cyber war. What does the F-11 key do? <laughs> Because I push it, yeah, and nothing yeah. happens. That's what am I? Am I shutting down websites in Europe when I do that? <laughs> you're redialing uh, on the. You're getting your modem. Your 9600 baht modem is getting reset. Can you help me get on Prodigy later? It's a deal. Thank you, Omar. Thank, thank you, you so much, Omar Wasso. Look at all those fancy clothes. Hey, David Pakman here, host of The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. If you're like me, you're a regular listener of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with Jay Tomlinson. If you like that, I invite you to check out my show, The David Pakman Show. Not only will you hear the best of the left, but you'll also hear some of the worst of the right, including some of the craziest bigots and racists around. But don't worry, I don't agree with them. Check out davidpakman.com, check out our show, continue listening to Best of the Left podcast, and even consider becoming a member of The David Pakman Show, all at davidpakman.com. Gone, going, gone, everything 
be the birds when they don't want to sing Gone people, all awkward with their thing Gone Arrest, intrigue, moral ambiguity, just another day in the never-ending story that is WikiLeaks. We talked last week about a loose faction of online activists called Anonymous, responsible for the so-called distributed denial-of-service attacks that crashed websites that had fled from WikiLeaks, including MasterCard, Visa, and PayPal. In a press release, Anonymous wrote, quote, We are average Internet citizens. Our current goal is to raise awareness about the underhanded methods employed by the above companies to impair WikiLeaks' ability to function. In defending their denial-of-service attacks, illegal under U.S. law, Anonymous cited Internet theorist Yevgeny Morozov, who suggested such acts can be legitimate expressions of dissent can be. And so, in an essay this week in Slate, Morozov asks, do the anonymous attacks rise to the level of civil disobedience? In answering it, Morozov used the criteria laid out by philosopher John Rawls in his 1971 treatise, A Theory of Justice. Were the attacks public and were authorities notified? Yes. Were they nonviolent? Check. Were they conscientious and motivated by moral convictions? Arguably. And finally, were the lawbreakers willing to accept the legal consequences of their actions? Originally, Morozov's answer was, uh, not so much. The anonymous attackers were, after all, anonymous. But we spoke to Morozov via Skype from Belarus, and he says he's since kind of changed his mind. I've been tracking some of the reaction from the anonymous members themselves, and some of them actually claim that their attacks can be easily traced to their computers and that they can be arrested. So I myself have slightly changed my mind on this issue also because some of them are willing to take the risks and they're willing to go to jail. All right, so let's say some percentage of the anonymous hackers realize they could be traced and put in some legal jeopardy. It leaves open the question, though, about the Rawls stipulation for conscientiousness and moral conviction. To what extent do we have evidence that these are conscientious actors behaving thoughtfully or just a mob? First of all, I think it's not correct to call them hackers. They have not broken into any databases. They have not stolen any data. So they actually themselves dispute that term, and I think they do it correctly. But in terms of whether they have moral convictions and whether they're pursuing any sort of agenda for change, I think they are. In this particular case, they didn't like Amazon and PayPal and MasterCard and Visa for what they think was a very unfair treatment of WikiLeaks and for succumbing to government pressure. So from that perspective, I think they definitely had a claim, and I think they actually had good reasons behind that claim for launching those attacks. As we wouldn't dispute their protests in front of Amazon's front door or in front of PayPal's office, I think this is legitimate. If this fulfills Rawls' stipulation, well, then can anybody decide that any business's practices for any reason justify this kind of denial-of-service attack? How much do we have to fear about just total pandemonium? It's definitely an issue since 
the so-called cyber war between Russia and Estonia in 2007, denial of service attacks have been getting more and more media coverage. They have become easier to launch. I mean, now it's a point-and-click kind of warfare. You know, all we have to do is specify the target. And the European Union, for example, now some of their commissioners are thinking of setting up a dedicated hotline for reporting denial of service attacks and maybe even dedicating some kind of a digital SWAT team. I myself have written a lot about the ways in which such attacks are being misused against independent media in places like Belarus or Azerbaijan or Kazakhstan or Lebanon. I mean, it's very easy to shut down an independent newspaper with the help of denial of service attacks. So it's definitely a very complex and increasingly disturbing issue. I, I just don't think that the way to go forward is to criminalize all of that because I think it will only embolden the likes of Anonymous to make their attacks even more sophisticated and to get even more people inside their ranks. a representative from the group Anonymous, which some of you may have heard of because they are the people behind Operation Payback, Mm. which occurred when Julian Assange of WikiLeaks fame was arrested, and they've been taking down the MasterCard website, the Visa website, PayPal, a Uh, host. Yes, Amazon. Um, They took down Sarah Palin's website a while ago, (laughs) and before that, they took down the Church of Scientology's website. They shared it with an awesome, awesome video, which I think we're going to play the audio from. Yeah, they they posted a video before they waged war on the Church of Scientology, and the video went viral for reasons that you will soon see. It's amazing. (laughs) Or hear, I should say. Yeah, so a lot... No, C was right. Nope, hear, because Uh, we're a podcast, and you hear a podcast. I'm going to say go with your gut. Hear... You hear these things. Yeah, but you can see them. You are listening to the sound of my voice. you are at all a creative person Mm -hmm. that you can visualize, Daredevil was blind and he could still see things because of the waves put out by sound. So if all of our listeners are – so if Daredevil is listening, he's technically watching. I stopped listening to you. Out of an act of rebellion. I like Daredevil. And speaking of rebellion, everybody. Hey, I had something to actually say. Um, Lots of people wrote in about – anonymous and about these guys and they're like you have to cover this it's amazing it's exactly what you're talking about it's like fucking up the system and i didn't write them back for several reasons one is that uh my head almost exploded when all the email came in and (laughs) two because i knew allison was planning this and like pretty badass dude like you were like downloading equipment so you could like talk to them and like you really like yeah it wasn't easy but uh you owned it It i got them yeah Yeah. so it's a really interesting interview i think they have a very uh you know a lot of journalists don't even understand what anonymous is they they think they're some kind of group with a traditional hierarchy of leadership and that's not what they are at all so greg the guy i 
spoke to and who you'll hear from in a second explained who they are, what their philosophy is, and it's really, really interesting stuff, but it's very misunderstood. For example, everybody's calling them hackers. Um, and while certain members of Anonymous might be hackers, what they're doing is called um, denial of service attacks, which is not hacking a website. They're not stealing anything from these websites. They're not stealing credit card numbers. They're doing nothing of that kind. It's truly civil disobedience. So who is the leader of these hackers? <laughs> That's a really big uh, misconception there. You know, Greg's always asked, are you the leader of Anonymous? And Anonymous has no leaders. They are no one. They are nothing. And that's really hard for people to wrap their heads around because they're like, no, where do you meet? once a week to set your agenda and that's not what they do at all it's fight club for real you guys <laughs> it has less structure than fight club so i wanted to play the interview we did with um should i say i feel bad that jamie didn't do the interview with me oh you want to talk about this yeah so, I, feel, I feel really guilty so here's what happened you guys uh i was there jamie was sitting next to me with my little headphones in yeah already i had my little notebook that's not true and uh, I was listening to my Bieber because I'm <laughs> young. And and I was on my Game Boy. Oh, I'm so old. <laughs> I'm so old. And um, With my yo-yo. <laughs> my pogs. Uh, quoting some Alf. Some pretty sweet Alf. And Allison starts interviewing this kid. It split up. Also not a kid. Oh, right. Um, Man. <laughs> Houston was interviewing uh, this gentleman. Yes. And he was, he's very intense. And as Allison is doing this interview, he's getting calls from CNN, from the guard. I mean, yeah, just- thank you. I want to preface the, the interview. It sounds sort of frenzied because Greg's phone literally was buzzing every 30 seconds. And he would be like, sorry, that was CNN. Sorry, it's the Guardian. And I was having to call him back. Yeah, and he's like leaving the gym and like ordering food. Like it just. It- I literally had to interview him between the time he left the gym and got to his office. So at one point he started ordering food. And yeah, it was very chaotic. But I really appreciate him taking the time to do the interview at all well and, and and the reason allison got the interview i don't know if i'm supposed to talk about this but essentially she had to um a she, mutual she had to be validated a mutual friend of ours uh made the connect which is we started chatting online and you know they're very cautious about who they talk to obviously so once he knew I wasn't a CIA plant, he was like, you can call me on my phone. So uh, that's what I ultimately did. But um, yeah, it, he had like zero time. He well, was- and, and, but not only so not only did Allison have to go through like all of these like crazy online validation things to make sure she was who she said she was and that she was cool. He was also so sick of journalists from bigger places asking him like dumb fucking questions yeah literally our mutual friend was like here is all the asinine shit people have done and said about him so just don't I, repeat any it'll of these just set him off right yeah. and uh, so i'm sitting there with my headphones and like allison's doing the intro and he was like are you the person we talked to last night and allison was like yep and he's like what's this for again and he she was like it's for this and uh, i'm kind of sitting there and he goes all right let's go and then Allison started asking her first question and she looked at me and I just started frantically <laughs> shaking no. my head no and giving myself the X because I feel like after all this approval, if suddenly I just slowly poked my head in <laughs> and said, and I'm Jamie and I have things to say 
tell me about your leader. <laughs> um, that that would have been bad, and I just didn't want to fuck up. The it would have looked a little weird. Yeah. So you'll just hear me asking these questions, but know that Jamie was with me in spirit. I was. Well, no, not in spirit. Sitting next to you, you're not allowed to say anything. Exactly. So actually, my body was there. Uh, I was just too heartbroken to speak. So here is Greg Hausch. He, and me. He is a spokesperson for Anonymous. He is not part of Anonymous itself. He is purely their spokesperson. And we discuss many things. We talk about Anonymous, WikiLeaks, including uh, Anonymous's takedown of the Church of Scientology, which actually, mm-hmm. I want to play the uh, audio from the video first. That's a good intro for him. Yeah, it's great. Uh, so here is the video that Anonymous made right before they waged war on the Church of Scientology. Hello. Leaders of Scientology, we are anonymous. Over the years, we have been watching you, your campaigns of misinformation, your suppression of dissent, your litigious nature, all of these things have caught our eye. With the leakage of your latest propaganda video into mainstream circulation, the extent of your malign influence over those who have come to trust you as leaders has been made clear to us. Anonymous has therefore decided that your organization should be destroyed, for the good of your followers, for the good of mankind and for our own enjoyment, we shall proceed to expel you from the internet and systematically dismantle the Church of Scientology in its present form, we recognize you as serious opponents, and do not expect our campaign to be completed in a short time frame, however, you will not prevail forever against the angry masses of the body politic, your choice of methods, your hypocrisy and the general artlessness of your organization have sounded its death knell. You have nowhere to hide, because we are everywhere. You will find no recourse in attack, because for each of us that falls, ten more will take this place. We are cognizant of the many who may decry our methods as parallel to those of the Church of Scientology. Those who espouse the obvious truth that your organization will use the actions of Anonymous as an example of the persecution of which you have for so long warned your followers. This is acceptable to Anonymous. In fact, it is encouraged. We are your SPs. Over time, as we begin to merge our pulse with that of your church, the suppression of your followers will become increasingly difficult to maintain. Believers will become aware that salvation needn't come at the expense of their livelihood. They will become aware that the stress and the frustration that they feel is not due to us, but a source much closer to them. Yes, we are SPs but the sum of suppression we could ever muster is eclipsed by that of your own RTC. Knowledge is free. We are anonymous. We are legion. We do not forgive. We do not forget. Expect us. So let's presuppose for a moment that you actually enjoy this show. Now, if that's true, please consider supporting it with a $5 monthly membership. I actually quit my job as a climate activist to pursue this show full time because this is where I felt like my talents could best be put to use and I could have the biggest impact on the world. But I really need your support to keep going. I produce 10 shows a month of fearless coverage on all the hot button issues we face, maintaining a rock solid schedule posting shows at least every third day. So if all that is worth 5 bucks a month or as little as $55, a year, a little discount for you. Please consider signing up for a membership at bestoftheleft.com. Members even receive bonus audio and video content on top of the rest that doesn't make it into the final cut of the show. So please, again, check out the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. Corrupt governments of the world, we are anonymous. 
For some time now, voices have been crying out in unison against the new ACTA laws. The gross inadequacies of the new laws being passed internationally have been pointed out repeatedly. Our chief complaint is that such measures would restrict people's access to the Internet. In these modern times, access to the Internet is fast becoming a basic human right. Just like any other basic human right, we believe that it is wrong to infringe upon it. To threaten to cut people off from the global consciousness as you have is criminal and abhorrent. To move to censor content on the internet based on your own prejudice is at best laughably impossible. The unjust restrictions you impose on us will meet with disaster and only strengthen our resolve to disobey and rebel against your tyranny. Such actions taken against you, and those you outsource your malignant litigation to, are inevitable, unavoidable and unstoppable. We are among us. We are legion and divided by zero. We do not forget internet censorship and we do not forget free speech. We are over 9,000. Except us. So, without further ado, here is my interview with Greg Hausch, again, spokesperson for Anonymous. We should open by saying the MasterCard website is down again, so congrats to whatever branch of Anonymous is responsible for that. Um, start out by talking about what Anonymous is and what is the group's goal. Uh, okay, well, first of all, there, there isn't a group and Anonymous doesn't exist. How about that one? Right. And I, I've seen that in other articles, and I, I could tell that the journalists really couldn't wrap their heads around it. So it's decentralized, and it's leaderless. So how are missions decided in, in upon? All, well, in all honesty, the, the attack that happened a few days ago on MasterCard, right before the Visa one, right? Someone came on and decided that that was what they wanted to try and tell Anonymous to do. And so they said it. It was a good idea in you know, the Operation Payback uh, guy's eyes, and so it started to happen. For all I know, you're the one who did that. That's literally how little we know about whose idea that was. You could have literally been the one who did it. I don't know. Right. And that's how it works. You could, you could set up your own server where people can come and chat, say you're anonymous, do it without your name attached to it, and whatever you did was anonymous. And I would never know or know you or know of the operation. So anybody, say there's a kid out there who's thinking this is a really cool thing I want to be a part of. He doesn't have to be a hacker at all. He could just lend his computer to Anonymous and become part of the, the movement. The most surprising thing of all to me, which, uh, you know, the Daily Mail, you know, that wonderful rag from London, <laughs> they came to my house uh, last night while I was out doing another interview, and... Uh, and so we went out to lunch uh, or breakfast this morning, 
And, uh, you know, I showed him on my iPhone, because I could get to my email, that uh, I'm getting about 50 of these an hour. Uh, people telling me, you know, either, you know, in, in longer terms that I'm not technical enough, uh, could you please just tell me how I can join? Or, you know, even worse than that, just little short one-liners. You can have my computer. What do I download? Right. And you can tell these are, you know, most of them older people, you know, very very untechnical people who couldn't find the chat service, who couldn't figure out how to get in contact with everyone, but they could use email. And so they're emailing whatever addresses they can find associated with Anonymous, which happens to be, you know, the Anonymous at YB Protest Net, which I listen to. And, um, you know, and they're just begging, you know, how do I join up? Can you just tell me how I can volunteer you my computer? And they know it's illegal, too, and they're still doing it. Now, and I'm getting literally 50 of those an hour. Have they? Have any of them expressed to you why they're willing to risk this, even though, as you mentioned, it is illegal? Uh, you know, it, it's this, this volunteer button thing that's going on right now is interesting because you know it seems with these types of movements that you've really got to get something that strikes a chord with just the general populace for something like this to be happening. Mm-hmm. And you know, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, um, those are big topics, and. It's been a while since, you know, a lot of people have stood up for either of them. Mm. And yeah. it seems like this might be one of those times when people are finally deciding that we need to stand up for those things. So, of course, I have to ask you about Operation Payback. Um, was Julian Assange aware of what Anonymous had planned when he was arrested? Thank you. Uh, the WikiLeaks Twitter had been updated a couple times saying, while we do not support the DDoSs or anything else, and we do not support um, anonymous in you know the various illegal activities they might be taking part in. We also are not going to tell anyone what to do. Mm. So you know it was very much disavowing any part of the illegal activities just because they have to. Right. Whether they have any more intimate knowledge or not, you know, is up to you, up to me. I mean, who knows? Mm. For all we know, you know, one of them is doing it. For all we know, they're not. We we just it's anonymous, so you'll never know. We we can assume that they're not because they're not dumb enough to try and get you know mixed up in this. Right. There's a lot of misinformation circulating, uh, circulating right now. What was the goal of hacking MasterCard and Visa? Was it uh, simply retribution? Or uh, I, I heard one media outlet saying they were trying to steal credit card numbers, which seems like a, a very different uh, goal. So- no, no, no. They are not in any way trying to go after anyone in the public at all, period. And stealing credit card numbers would do that. There was a leak of 10,000 credit cards from Visa. And the funny thing was, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be blunt with you. Someone needs to report on this, and I'm not telling anyone else. So this one's yours, all right? All right. Someone in Operation Payback made that list up and then posted it, and the press ran with it. Do you think Anonymous's loose structure that we've been talking about somewhat limits it from focusing on long-term um, takedowns of some of its targets? It, it sometimes has gotten in the way. I mean, for, from... You know, the, the angle of a lot of these people just getting bored, honestly, and going away and doing other stuff, you know, and not being able to get back a hold of these people and asking them to keep going and all that. You know, it, it, it's why the, the new op has been working so well is because the botnet, you know, that they built is voluntary and automatic. Mm-hmm. Before, people had to keep paying attention to find out what to attack next. Now, as long as they've installed the software, they're, they're attacking. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that's how it was working. I mean, right now... You know, that, that's not completely up and operating. It's kind of half working because of all the, the, the raids and the, the kid, you know, the Dutch kid and all that other stuff that's going on. Right. 
But uh, it'll it'll be back up within hours, I'm sure. You know, it, it's so resilient that they'll just get another one going. Sure. I was just rereading um, our friend Barrett Brown's article, and uh, I really like the the central thesis of his article, which is that groups like Anonymous are really herald the end of the traditional nation state. Do you agree with that assessment? Uh, that was an interesting article, and that article was is a bit old, but that, that article was actually the, um, sorry about that, I'm paying. That article was actually the first article that I read of Barrett's, and it's, uh, it's the one that made me contact him. I was like, hey, you probably want to talk to one of us, right? Mm. And, uh, that's actually how we met, and a lot of people on this site laughed at that article thinking that, you know, again, you know, we're not that big, we're not that powerful, we're not going to do anything, you know, who are we, right? Mm. We, uh, that's just how some of us feel. Then there's the others who feel like, yes, this is a revolution, you know, and they love that article. So, mm. you know, it goes both ways on this side. Who knows really whether this is going to be as big as people think it's going to be? It's so new, no one knows. Right. Um, as the police state makes it increasingly more difficult to protest in traditional ways, do you think acts like... Uh, those of anonymous can help to re-empower the disenfranchised citizenry? I think so. You know, like, uh, you, you look back a couple of years ago, you know, with what he was referring to and a lot of what he was doing, he was talking about the anti-Scientology movement that we had going. And, you know, when, when we first started that in early 08, it was really the first time something like this had happened, where, you know, just something sparked online and thousands and thousands of people came together for action. And within weeks, we ended up in the street with 10,000-plus people in 142 cities. Mm. I mean, just protesting in the streets, out there doing kind of the typical thing with flyers, posters, the works, you know, spreading the word. And this one's going to end up there. If you actually go to WLCentral.org, you know, the, the WikiLeaks unofficial news site, mm-hmm. um, the post from earlier today that talks about, you know, setting up rallies... Um, they're starting to organize. They've got a system up on there now. People are putting up Facebook groups for cities, setting dates. You know, this is starting to transform into a lot of people going the old traditional ways uh, to try and get the word out there to the bigger groups of people that you don't reach in, you know, these more technical ways. Mm. Uh, one of Anonymous's previous targets was the Church of Scientology. Uh, talk about that campaign and also why Scientology became a target. Uh, sure. Uh, you know, I was there in the beginning of that campaign, and uh, they became a target. Originally, you know, a small group of people were online when that Tom Cruise video went up, you know, the, the nine-minute clip of Cruise um, just being insane, quite honestly. <laughs> and uh, Scientology filed, you know, what was a false DMCA claim. You know, they filed that they owned copyright on that and that it was illegal to be up, and so YouTube took it down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are laws about fair use for copyrighted material, you know, for clips and whatnot. And the video that that came from was well over two hours, so using under 10 minutes of footage is actually legal. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, you know, a false DMCA claim, and that kind of pissed some people off. So some of us who just saw that, you know, just a few people sitting around a chat channel uh, saw it and were like, hey, let's grab a copy of that and repost it somewhere. And a few of the people involved with getting it up originally also thought the same thing. So that night, a lot of people put up copies of uh, of that video. Mm. You know, there were 20, 30 of them, but they all started falling. Like, within minutes, Church of Scientology was on top of those sites, getting them to remove them, you know? Right. 
and we were able to paste, uh, put some posts up on, um, on 4chan, on Reddit, on sites like that to tell people that they needed to, um, that they needed to, let's see here, they needed to actually take this copy and get it up as far and wide, just spread the news, right? Mm -hmm. And if you wanted to talk to everyone, you know, come to this IRC server and chat with us. And a, a couple hundred people showed up, and then, you know, cycling through, people getting bored or not liking it, disappearing, you know, you, you ended up with about a 100 solid people by the next morning who were doing it. And at that point, the video's out, and they stopped filing the claim, you know? Mm. Um, they, they just realized that this was going to waste too much time. Right. But here are some people. And in that little channel of the few people that were around, you know, that kind of started things, um, people were sitting there like, well, what, what next? Here's some people. And a video was decided. We needed a video. So people got together and made this message to Scientology video. And, you know, I, I was part of that little group of people who had done that. And, uh, you know, the, the uh, YouTube account is, you know, mine at this point. You know, I, I run that. Mm -hmm. And uh, that video went up, and we thought, hey, you know, maybe maybe we'll get, you know, Anonymous to do some fun things for a few days. Mm. You know, we'll, we'll have, there, there might be some prank calls or something, you know. And then 10,000 people were on our damn server by the end of the next day. Mm. Like, holy crap, where did all these people come from? <laughs> right. Well, turns out Scientology doesn't have many friends. Uh, yeah. A lot of people would love to screw with them. And there we go. A lot of people did start screwing with them. Right. So now, you know, by the next day, there's all these people. The server keeps crashing. More servers are being added just to handle the load of all these people. And they're all trying to talk in one or two channels, which doesn't work with that many people. So one of the guys in our smaller little channel said, hey, why don't we, um, why don't we send all these people to channels named after the city they're in? You know, maybe that'll spread the load a little. It's an easy way to do it. So... The channels that they were all trying to talk in with thousands of people that wasn't working were locked where they couldn't talk anymore. And a bot was set up that was just continually posting, join the channel named after your city. Join the channel, you know, just over and over. So people started to, you know, separate out. You saw, you know, the, the channel London, the channel in New York, the channel Dallas, you know, the channel, you know, Moscow, you know. Mm. And we realized only hours later that there were 142 cities and 43 countries represented by these channels. Like, holy crap, right? Mm. And another guy, you know, later that day, sitting in our channel again, you know, we're sitting there talking, starts talking about what this is, that this is huge, this is big, it's beyond us. This has never happened before. We're, we're changing the world. The rest of us laughed at him. Quite honestly, we laughed at him. <laughs> we were like, whoa, good job being an idealist there. You know, that, that isn't going to happen. This is going to last a week. Mm. Then another one of the members, um, who, you know, we were all just sitting there having chats, found this video on YouTube uh, about uh, this girl named Tori, dancing in front of the Boston uh, Scientology uh, org, you know? Mm. He said, why don't we send all these people in all these cities? Every one of them has a Scientology building. Why don't we send them all to the buildings to actually protest? That would be hilarious. <laughs> We're like, the Internet's not going to go outside, you know? Mm. And uh, we made a video anyways, you know, a call to action saying, you know, let's do this. And then we made a, a, a third video, the... Uh, the code of conduct telling people to be nice to the local police and, you know, tell them that you're doing this so they know to send, you know, people and, you know, all these other things that, you know, we didn't know what to do. We, I honestly made phone calls to, like, Greenpeace and, you know, tons of other, you know, old world, you know, people and said, could someone give me tips? Right. And we started getting, you know, basic ideas of how you need to deal with cities that you're in and, you know, make sure they're aware of this so things don't go horribly wrong. Sure. You know, don't throw bricks, you idiots. <laughs> You know, <laughs> right, uh, and that's kind of how it started, right there. That was that was it. That was where this came from.
Uh, last question, Greg. What would you say to the people out there who accuse Julian Assange and groups like Anonymous of uh, either endangering lives or causing chaos or hurting people? Four solid years of WikiLeaks doing what it's doing. Not a single person has been killed. Not a single person has been injured that has been reported in the press or that has been in any way credible uh, due to WikiLeaks actions. Not one. Mm. And you can look at that very clearly and believe me simply because if it had happened, the U.S. government would have it all over every TV in front of you with pictures of the guy's dead body just to really gross you out and prove the point mm. that it had happened. You know they would be running with this like you wouldn't believe. Mm -hmm. It hasn't happened yet, and it's probably not going to. We can't tell the future, but the fact that it simply hasn't happened yet in four solid years, you haven't found one credible source, one single instance of it happening, it isn't probably going to. Mm. Once again, big, big thanks to Greg Hausch. Really appreciate his time. Very interesting uh, to hear about what exactly Anonymous stands for, what they're trying to do. And once you hear what they're actually doing, their ultimate goals, it's the perfect form of civil disobedience for a new a new era, you know, a, yeah. a new kind of technology. Yeah. Where it's like, literally, we don't have the tools anymore to resist in traditional ways because the police state, well, they'll send you to prison for the rest of your life for being a quote-unquote terrorist. So how do you resist? And I think Anonymous is showing the new way to resist. This is Mariana from Naples, New York. Just became a member. Um, I found your show because I was on iTunes and I needed something to listen to while I walked our very energetic husky. Uh, he's going to get a lot of walks now because I really love your show. Um, I, I feel like I've come home. I've come back to my roots. Um, I'm a child of the 60s, and I really feel like I really needed this very much to get my head, get my head back together. Um, I think it's great because I don't think it's best of the left, but it's not best of the same idea. It's made me think a great deal. Uh, especially your show on religion kind of hit me in the heart. I'm a religious woman, but I don't try to push it on anybody. But um, you really made me think, and I think that's important no matter what. Um, as someone of faith, thinking is important. It can only deepen your faith. Uh, anyway, I love your show. I'm looking forward to walking the dog a lot because I think uh, 2010, 2011 is going to be one hell of a ride. Uh, thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Hi, Jay. This is Michael from Glen Burnie. I just wanted to uh, share a thought that I'd had, um, mainly just to get it out of my head, and I figured this is a good place to report it. Record it for posterity. But uh, I... Uh, basically, it's just about Obama, uh, about, about the crap that he's been getting, and, you know, honestly, I've been giving it to... Um, you know, I've been very disappointed in him with a lot of, you know, I, I don't need to go into it, your listeners now, <laughs> what I'm talking about. Uh, but a thought occurred to me. Um, I've often said to myself and to other people that uh, one of the hardest things a president can probably do is be a president, uh, not aiming to be a two-term president. Work your term out as if you're a one-term president. Do the things, not to get you reelected, do the things that you know are right and are good and are the best choices. Um, and, you know, I often think that, and it just 
a thought occurred to me. Maybe that's what Obama is doing here. And maybe as much as we hate him now, 10, 15 years down the road when we're looking back, we're going to realize how much impact he actually had. Um, and I'll tell you what I mean. Uh, uh, I hate to drop a movie reference here, but I'm going to do it, and I'd probably get it backwards. But, you know, he's not the hero we need. He's the hero we deserve. Um, and he's the man that we can hate, but is going to do what needs to be done regardless. And, you know, I'm not saying that I know this with certainty. It's just a thought. But look at the health care reform. Um, you know, compared to, say, Medicare, the last big health care uh, uh, legislation to, to be passed in America. Um, where, you know, how different is Medicare now than it was when Medicare was written? Um, you know, and, you know, take that on the flip side, where would we be if Medicare was never passed at all? Right? So, you know, sure, if people had thought about it, they could have gone after all the stuff that Medicare has now. Maybe they would have lost. Maybe Medicare never would have gotten passed, and now we'd have nothing. Um, and maybe that's the similar thing with healthcare. Maybe he realized that with the Republican opposition that he had, unless he, unless he, you know, made some heavy compromises on things that he wanted, and unless he, you know, avoided alienating them in the process and trying just to push this through, he wasn't going to pass it. And let's face it, the Republicans were being obstinate little bastards. Uh, you know, so it wouldn't surprise me uh, if he didn't. So in this case, he, he did the work to get enough people to, you know, to sway their votes so that we could pass it. And now what we have is a platform to make improvements upon and maybe get to that gold standard that we were hoping to pass initially. So he didn't go for gold because he knew we could go for bronze and work our way up to gold. Um, and he was afraid that if we went for gold and didn't get it, we wouldn't get anything. Uh, not even an honorable mention. And so the same deal with his tax cuts, in a way, obviously it's not a platform, but, you know, what's the ultimate, what's, what's the immediate problem here? Is that if they don't get passed, uh, or if he doesn't pass that, then unemployment benefits go down the tubes. And that's not just numbers on a book, you know. Sure, financially, it doesn't make sense for the for the country just from a number standpoint to sacrifice all the money it takes to cut benefit or cut taxes for the wealthy. Uh, you know, when compared to whatever kind of economic impact unemployment benefits it's going to have. But look at what it's doing to these people. You I mean who the people that are actually experiencing this? They're going to be on the roads or you know on the streets, losing their houses. Uh, and maybe he just didn't think that was worth risking, <laughs> not even for a second. So. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know the answers. There's not a certainty thing here. I'm not. Uh, I'm not professing to be an expert. But at the same time, you know, maybe we just need to take a step back and look at this from another point of view. And maybe when we see where we are because this legislation was passed, and can compare it to where we might have been if we didn't, maybe then we'll see the wisdom in what he's doing. And then maybe not. So I don't know. But thanks for everything you do. Happy holidays and uh, keep up the good work. Bye. Hi, Jay. My name is Robert Schultz. I'm in Spokane, Washington, and I heard your episode on the police state. Uh, since August, we've had six officer-involved shootings in Spokane, four of those involving fatalities for a citizen of the city. Um, I'm kind of wondering if some of this is partly due to the uh, 
economic situation and everybody being a bit desperate and uh, the police maybe being a little bit fearful of being on the receiving end of some of those bullets and, uh, you know, shooting first and asking questions later if they can. Uh, just curious what your thoughts are on that sort of uh, response by our police and uh, kind of wish they would use tasers, but they say they don't have time to get a taser ready. They have to shoot rather than uh, tase. So. Anyway, enjoy the show. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called in to leave a message to be played on the show. If you'd like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. Now, I have a story for you guys today. And so obviously I don't need to tell you who Anonymous is. You all just learned about him. A uh, very uh, dark, uh, mysterious organization, um, non-organization. They don't really exist. No one's really a member. Um, and so, and you basically, by listening to this show, you basically know as much about them as I do. And, uh, but what you don't know, unless maybe you follow the show on Facebook, facebook.com slash best of the left, which you all should obviously, is that I received a letter well, an email from none other than Anonymous. And uh, now the last thing I would want to do, of course, is, uh, you know, make fun of or offend in any way a dark, shadowy organization of, you know, nameless, faceless uh, cyber war web soldiers, uh, you know, waiting in the wings to uh, unleash cyber terror on anyone who opposes their mission of uh, freedom and openness uh, on the internet. Um, but I'm going to anyways. But it's all in, it's all in good fun. I don't expect any uh, backlash from them uh, for this. But it is, it's interesting enough that I would like to tell you how this uh, went down. So I received this email uh, several weeks ago before the holidays. Now, Anonymous, they are a very uh, no-nonsense uh, non-organization, you know, in my uh, estimation. And so I received this very no-nonsense email from them, uh, which seemed to be they were basically uh, sending me some clips that they wanted me to play on the show. And when I say they, of course, I have no idea who that could have been. It's probably just a listener of this show who's sympathetic to the Anonymous uh, uh, idea and signed up as uh, you know to, and decided to be part of anonymous and uh, sent me a few clips uh, to play on the show but it comes across as this like ever so mildly sinister because every anything that's like secretive is instantly sinister so i get, get this email from anonymous the subject is clips from anonymous information war has been declared and the email begins this email is a dummy email replies will not be acknowledged and then they give me a list of clips and they say, uh, this clip is an open letter from, from anonymous. And you, you didn't hear that on the show today. The open letter, it's about eight minutes of that computer talking, uh, reading text. Um, but it, it's the bonus content. It's a video, uh, bonus content for anyone using the, uh, iPhone or Android app for the show. So that's, that's the bonus con content for today. But they also sent me a clip from Countdown, which you did hear today, and also their uh, kind of open letter declaration prior to Operation Payback, which you also heard on the show today. And so they, they indicate they that they want me to you know play the clips on the show. It says, if you do not publish these within the next few podcasts, and th now this is where it gets interesting, and this is why I'm telling this story. This is their last sentence in the email. And now think to yourself, how is that sentence going to end? 
if you do not publish these within the next few podcasts, then what? And when, when I read this, I think, I think I may have like just woken up. I was kind of groggy and, uh, and, uh, and these ideas were going through my head of, oh, am I being blackmailed, but not quite? Are they going to attack me if I don't like what, what's going on here? Once my head cleared and I read the, the last of this, uh, sentence, I got a good laugh out of it. So, uh, so this is what they said. If you do not publish these within the next few podcasts, it will be assumed that you need more information and more clips. More will be sent. <laughs> now, I love that. And I find it hilarious. Um, but it took me a little while to figure out, like, exactly why. Like, why is that hilarious? And I, I finally think I've figured it out. And I've come up with, like, a, a good analogy to, uh, to kind of describe how that sentence makes me feel. <laughs> And, uh, and, and so basically what it sounds like to me is, you know, as I said, they're vaguely sinister cause it's so secretive. And then, um, and then they come across with this like mildly threatening sentence. If you do not publish these, uh, within the next few podcasts and you think you're going to be threatened, but then they just offer you help. And so it's like, it's like the, the kidnappers have written a ransom email and then, and, and then said, uh, if you do not deliver the ransom as dictated by our terms, uh, we will assume that maybe you just couldn't find the drop point. And so we'll uh, give you a call and like uh, and, and give you directions to get here if you need. And, and like if you don't have the money, like we'll give you a loan. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and so it's just kind of this absurd uh, dichotomy between how serious they are and then how, uh, how nice uh, they turned out to be. So anyways, uh, I found that to be uh, hilarious, and that's uh, the story behind how a couple of the clips you heard on the show uh, came into my hands, uh, which was nice. You know, I was going to make a show about them anyways. Uh, they're kind of the dark, seedy underbelly of the WikiLeaks story. Um, you know, they're the pro-WikiLeaks people, and, and I obviously wanted to get that message out there. But boy, that was... Uh, interesting to say the least when I got that email. Uh, so that's going to do it for today. I want to thank a couple of members before I go. Of course, uh, Ross B uh, hyphen T signed up as a leftist member on the Lukowski scale. Of course, a leftist member on May 19th and signed up for a monthly membership and has stuck with the show since then. And Christopher J signed up on November 22nd as a socialist member and uh, and signed up for a full year in advance. So huge thanks to Ross and Christopher and all of the members and donors who make the show possible. You guys know I couldn't do it without you. Everyone, of course, can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it. It really makes a huge difference, so please keep that up. And uh, to stay connected with the show between episodes and help spread the word online. Uh, and, of course, be privy to things like getting uh, emails from Anonymous, which I posted on Facebook uh, join up with us on Facebook and Twitter for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode of the show. All of those details are always listed in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you 10 times a month, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Thought black and white Bought a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to meet A dying man in a living room